He was a man who would stop at nothing to realize his vision, and his invention changed the face of modern warfare. This is the story of John P. Holland. guys so just a little heads up about this week's podcast it's a little different than usual myself and Oshin were on a road trip in my camper van and we were using the new samsung galaxy book pro 360 laptop to research record and edit the whole podcast so ever since i converted the van into a camper van i've always wanted to be able to take it away work in remote locations and yeah just kind of do my own thing but the biggest issue has always been power my old laptop would die after like two hours of use especially if i was editing or anything so trying to make sure our batteries are always topped up is difficult to say the least so the galaxy book pro 360 has an insane battery so up to 20 hours and it wasn't even until day two before we had to charge the laptop which included all the research and recording of this podcast so even if you're not working out of a camper van but you like working in a cafe or a co-working space this laptop will easily last you a day or two without needing a charge which is yeah an absolute godsend. It also charges with a USB cable, so my phone, laptop, and headphones all charge from the same charger, which is pretty incredible and means I can pack fewer cables as space in the van is always limited and it's just going to save you a ton of time. I actually documented this whole trip on my Instagram at Connor Feeling Photo, so you can see me there using the Galaxy Book Pro 360 laptop there. The reason we recorded this podcast about John P. Holland in the van was so that we could be in the scanner where he's actually from. Uh, so we call Dara on Zoom, so the pod sends pretty much as normal, but we do have a few nature sounds in the background, so sorry about that. And before you hear the recording, we decided to record a chat once we got home from the trip to discuss how it went and how the laptop fared by the end of the week. So I'll pass you over to Dara, I think speaks first. I think this is the longest gap, is it, that we haven't recorded a pod? Yeah, like a month, maybe, a month and a half. We were really good for a while, doing one every week, and then we were releasing them kind of every so often every two weeks and it was great and we we're like we'll never run out and uh yeah we're kind of now we've run out yeah <laughs> <laughs> but then again that's like me with any deadline like i don't i'm not actually productive until the fire is lit under my arse and then things start to slowly form so. the weather has been great though so you know oh the weather's been amazing yeah we're not going to talk about the weather sorry we're no gonna... but especially because yeah. <laughs> it was our road trip was in maybe the rainiest week um yeah it was not a bit unfortunate like the week likely. before was lovely and the week after was lovely <laughs> the week we were on our trip it lashed for most of the time well we were on the road monday through friday um and monday was the only day i think we saw sunshine and then every other day was just buckling down yeah you were in the van though weren't you yeah yeah so it was grand so the whole idea of the trip was that samsung wanted to see if like we could take this laptop and the whole thing it's got like a 20 hour battery life so they wanted us to see can you go go on a road trip kind of work from loads of different places and record a podcast, edit videos, edit photos on the go. And yeah, we could, which is kind of, kind of good because otherwise coming back, we'd be quite awkward. Go, yeah, no, can't, not possible. When, when do me and Oshin get free stuff from Samsung? Uh, My engagement is great. I mean, I've got 10 followers and every photo I've got engaged? Like 10 likes. Yeah, I heard that straight away. I was like, Sarah, <laughs> sounds like a great weekend. <laughs> My Instagram engagement levels, <laughs> just to be clear. Like every every one of your 10 followers likes your posts. <laughs> That's because they're all your family. Match that. <laughs> I, think we, I think we get one free earbud each, Daz, that we have to share. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That works. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it was really fun, though. We Myself and I haven't shared, like, a room, or, like, that tiny a space for that long since college, probably. 
Yeah, I didn't realize that Connor has like an allergy to like aerosols. So on day one, like I sprayed my arms quite liberally. Yeah. You know, to, to avoid the, the stank. Um, and Connor kind of lost the, the plot. So on day two, I did just a little like a poot on each arm. And then he <laughs> still, still lost the, the plot. And then he still lost the, uh, with the door open in the van, and he still lost the plot. So then I lost the plot of him. Because I was like, it was just a poot. Um, <laughs> I was like, it's my van. Also, it really hits the back of my throat. And I was like, just don't do it in the van. So I think there's arguments for and against. No, there isn't. There's, there's one <laughs> argument. And it's don't spray aerosols in my van. Even little poos. Even though, like, yeah, geez, the first day was a proper, like, link shower. You went for it. We hadn't yeah. showered. We were a bit stinky. But uh, it, though, that being said, so the van has this uh, layout that you can kind of extend it to be like a double bed, which I just didn't fancy because if you're brushing off someone while you're sleeping, uh, I don't know, it just wakes me up. So what we did was he didn't extend the bench at all. So he left one mat, one one mattress on the bench, one mattress on the floor. So we we're like a foot away from each other in height wise, um, and it was really comfy. I I slept really well the first two nights. I think. Did you just not really share a bed in college all the time? Yeah, like a single bed, like first with, year with, right with home. four other people. <laughs> with the, you see, we were usually like ma- massively shit faced, so that usually helps good sleep as well. You know? <laughs> to be honest, the aerosol spray was the least offensive smell that came out of you. All week, Whoa. I had to open the back door of the van at three in the morning because it was a horrific While you were one. Pissing into a bottle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like fucking Gollum yeah. crouching over an algae. <laughs> you should yeah. put a sign on that man. I nearly fill that up with water one of the days. <laughs> it's like it's my like fair like it's my van. It's my algae. If someone's trying to steal it and use it, then fair enough. That's their fault. That'd be the least offensive theft. Oh my god, they stole my algae and filled it up. Off you go. <laughs> but yeah, so aside from the, the pee, the aerosols, and the farting, and the sleeping, and the company, we had a great time. <laughs> and the rain. And, and the, the rain. rain. <laughs> it was really fun, though, because we went... Oh, it was like, amazing, yeah. Uh, we started in Dublin, went out to some more, and uh, down through Kerry, like all of Kerry, all the different passes. We did the Dingle Peninsula. Dingle Peninsula. Um, so Connor Pass into the Dingle Peninsula, out to Dunquin Pier. Then we came back and headed over to do, what do you call it, the... Dunglow, the Gap of Dunlow. Gap of Dunlow, yeah, which I tried to do last year. Myself and Gina tried to do it last summer, and we got there and a load of lads from Kerry with horses were just like, oh, you can't go up there. And uh, it turns out you can, but you have to go mad early before. Yeah, yeah it there. turns out you can all the time. They just really don't want you to go. Dad did it in his feckin' car and yeah. the day. They just really don't want you to go because that's taking business away from them. But it also it also is very very difficult. It's basically yeah. a one way road for eighteen kilometers with very few pulling points, so it is quite tough. Yeah, I would not like to do it in the middle of the day. No. Then we went over. To, we spent a night in a hotel, then to refresh up in Bantry. Then we did West Cork the next day, and we finally got to see Three Castle Head, which is something I've always wanted to see. Um, but we received quite a tepid welcome there. So um, yeah. there's just signs everywhere. They really don't want you to do anything there. Um, and straight away the farmer came out or the owner came out to us and was like, I hope you're not flying drones. And the two of us like big, massive drone backpacks. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> nope. and he's like, oh, cause I'll be calling the guards straight away if I see a drone. And like, just, he, he, there's an argument for like nesting birds. There's an argument for, he just wants the commercial photography for it. So for the first hour of that hike there, I was just giving out to Connor about <laughs> you were how shitty that situation is. Cause it's annoying. It's this, these gorgeous castles in the middle of nowhere. And somebody tries to kind of claim ownership over this. And that's really irks me. But then they were so pretty and it was so nice. I tried to just not be such a, you know, stuck in the mud about it. Drones can also be very annoying for person for the people that don't have a drone. Oh yeah, but I'd be pretty respectful now. Whenever I, fly, I usually fly, either if very short. Well, I don't fly at all anymore now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another story. Um, 
I'd usually fly like in either very empty areas or if there is like on a mountaintop, a few people there, it'll be a very quick flight because I, I just really don't want to ruin it for everyone, which yeah. it seems to already have been done in all the beauty spots around Ireland. So mm. it's frustrating. Yeah, but it was it was funny because I just, yeah, I kept saying like, well, I seen like it's private land. So, t- you know, te- technically he doesn't even have to let us hike through. Like it's, there's a donation thing where he says, put in three euro, I'll give you euro to charity, which is more than he has to do like he could just say no you're not allowed come on to my land yeah but these stunning gorgeous ancient i don't i think they're norman fortifications or they're fortifications against the normans like that should belong to the people and be able to be viewed by the people and this person could literally just let no one in if they chose to and i just kind of hate that concept i think yeah yeah it's yeah it was funny because i do agree with you but it's also just like you're you're so angry (laughs) like Oh, well, it was, it was, I, I'm all, like, it was very that, funny. That's been like number one on my drone list for a long time. I didn't realize yeah. how fussy the farmer would be. Yeah. So look, it happens anyway. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. What have you been up to, Daz, when we were off gallivanting? I was over in the UK for three weeks. I did a bit of a tour. So I was North London and Essex. And then I went up to Cambridge, then Nottingham, and then up to Glasgow. So it was quite nice. Ooh. And you were working the first couple of weeks, weren't you? And then visiting. Yeah, then I took a week off. And then I was up in Glasgow with, with my twin basically on like a mountain every single night according to <laughs> Ali's Instagram we didn't even spend the night we just went hiking twice <laughs> oh no way oh, every, every picture I saw you guys were out in the sun somewhere gorgeous so it looked really nice uh, yeah oh, sorry we did a bit of a kind of a small loop walk type thing in the, in a forest one day and then we did two hikes up in Loch Lomond which is absolutely gorgeous oh I'd say it's stunning yeah and with the gorgeous weather Glasgow's really nice as well like it's a bad rap yeah it's good crack like they I, I love the way I, I don't know if you know the Wellington statue that they have there and mm. they, they they keep putting a cone on his head yeah. and the council have just stopped taking the cone off the head because it just kept, they could, they're just wasting time <laughs> and money. <laughs> and they they've, the city have just kind of jumped on it, like all signs and stuff like that have like the Wellington monument with the, the cone head on yeah, it. Yeah. It's the, like it's become the mascot. It's so good. That's brilliant. Yeah, I know you're, I think your sister wants to design them. Um, some prints about that as mm. well she thought it was a really cool concept too yeah it's very good and then we went to edinburgh actually for a day and they got the same statue but no no cone so they're no crack they're Not very so. fancy in edinburgh it is lovely though oh, it's very nice it's an insane <laughs> again leaving a pub and seeing a castle rising up out of the ground in the middle of like a hill in the middle of the city and a castle on top of it like it's it's magical it really is a lot of booze and are we on your best behavior uh kind of tipping away you know kind of gentle summer drinking yeah, you know, yeah. we'd have a couple of drinks, then we'd go for a walk and pretend to go to a museum and then just go, do you want to go to the museum? Nah, nah, nah. And then just keep forgetting. GTs, GTs. There's also <laughs> lovely weather. I don't want to pretend to like art like when it's really sunny yeah. outside. Nah, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather pretend to like art when it's raining. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and look at the sad ones and go, like, that's how I feel because of the yeah. rain. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a nice break though. After uh, my five-day trip with Connor, I was exhausted and... We drove back from Kerry and then I hopped in the car and drove to Sligo. So I was in the car for maybe six hours that day because I was having a weekend away with my friends. And like, and I was just ready to go to bed and sleep in the bed. But my friend kind of, she's she's like, it's Jen, one of our friends. And when you drink with her, it just kind of doesn't really end. So her and I ended up outside the back garden until half seven in the morning drinking because we just said we'll have one more we'll have one more we'll have more one then we suddenly had everyone's beer we just <laughs> when we were out of our beer we just kept going and we just kept drinking everybody's beer until there was none left and then it was time for bed so that was the longest drinking i've done in a long time how was the next day <laughs> it was amazing it was the dream hangover we both we jen wrote this big long letter saying hey we love you all hope you have a lovely day don't wake us 
please don't wake us. Please don't wake us. We'll catch up with you. Just don't wake us. <laughs> so left outside the room, we've just both fell fast asleep. We were woke up around three or half three. We met them at this amazing vegetarian cafe and Jen like had a sulpidine for her head and a motilium for her stomach. Um, and then we had like this amazing breakfast. I like that. And that we were probably still quite drunk for that. So that helped. But um, and then when like the dip hit, we went for a swim in the sea and then we just were ready to go again. We went to Strand Hill. We had a fire on the beach. We were like dancing around the fire to like two in the morning. It was like the perfect hangover day. I'm amazed. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I was in bed by probably eight o'clock that day. Oh, yeah. Well, we were knackered, man. There was a lot of driving on the trip. And you used to do all the driving as well. So yeah, I was, I was happy to passenger. And we the, we were always stopping every hour or two. So it never felt really um, too, yeah. too, too rough, you know? Yeah, no, the roads you were driving were nice. They're like, you know, if you're driving the motorway for hours, it just gets boring until you get mm-hmm. tired. Whereas these were like... It was basically the wild. We did a lot of the wild Atlantic way. Yeah, mostly. So yeah, that's, I guess that's the end of our chat. So we're going to throw back to us last week uh, talking about John P. Holland. So enjoy. So Oshin here recording from the back of Cotter's van out in some random lake. Um, the midges are starting to bite, but they're not too bad. Yeah, we kind of forgot we have a lovely little setup, does it's like lights everywhere and it's really lovely and it looks gorgeous, but we forgot all the midges are going to run inside. Oh no. Yeah. I am. The sound quality is good. That's the most important thing. Should we explain what midges are if people aren't listening from Ireland? Sure, sure, because they're really bastards. They're like horseflies or they're kind of mosquitoes, but yeah. not as evil. Yeah, they're yeah, they're just like mosquitoes that make you itchy instead of giving you malaria. And killing babies. And killing babies. Yeah. All 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 in they're pretty good as insects go. It's the worst thing in Ireland, probably. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're anywhere near a body of water, basically at dusk or before dusk, as me and Dara learned uh, on our hike as well, um, they just basically swarm all over you, land all over your clothes. They're very, very small, like fruit. This, fruit is, this is way too long of a talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two minutes of what a midge is. People need to know the risks of coming yeah, to Ireland. Does. <laughs> There's no why. I hear you say midge. It's midge. 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 And not midget with a T, that's offensive. <laughs> not midgy with a Y, it's just midge. It's midgies. Well, that was JP midges. Holland. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> the inventor of the, mid, the midge. Uh, Darrow, we went to, to do research because we're here right like where he's from. Like We went to this canner and they have a, a John P. Holland Center. So we went, it was like, this is great. Our research is going to go to a museum. We'll chat to people about him and learn loads. And uh, it, it, was, it was not uh, a museum. We well, see... We didn't research what the center was. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so like it's a, actually a little bit on us. Yeah, it's kind of like a community hall. Like they, they had like catering facilities inside that were like, I think they have communions there and stuff. Like yeah. after parties for communion. No, no oh. submarines. <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> a community center. That's all it was. Community center, yeah. There's probably local artists have shows there every Monday or something. But... Do people play like indoor football or something? <laughs> no, it's really small. Really, Tiny. really small. Yeah, not like a big okay. hall. This counter's nice though. Oh, yeah, it was nice enough. But then after that, we ended up going to Lynch and having a pint and we did our podcast research there. So it was a bit of a bit of a win-win, I think. Yeah, we looked very antisocial. We were just sitting there. Yeah, we put our earphones in on our phones, like <laughs> having a pint and eating pizza. <laughs> and oh, and the worst thing was this restaurant, it was so busy. There was a queue for people to come in. So and our, our table's right beside the queue of people queuing. So they were sitting, they were standing in the queue in the sun, starving looking at these two idiots on their phones, watching a YouTube documentary <laughs> or 
studying or two idiots on their phones studying just doing research research yeah <laughs> yeah we left the restaurant eventually and we went on and kind of sat in the van and did a bit more research there then set up for the night what's the name of the lake <laughs> lake lake claire lake claire clear lake, lake. lake. Oh, don't even research it's fine uh <laughs> no we've actually come like further inland away from the coast because anywhere in the wild atlantic way coastal area is always gonna be busy with people so it's quite quiet here we had a couple of random cars come in earlier and um, but they've seemed to have all left we had a way. guy who drove in on his own and got out of the car and walked over like 100 meters to the bin put a bag into the bin and it just looked real suspicious did you check what was in the bag <laughs> yeah, you did. You went up to check. i checked i checked the bin and i saw the bag and i was like i'm not going to be that guy who starts rooting around he probably just maybe accidentally shit his pants or something it was thrown away his underwear like i don't know but or it was a, a severed hand i really don't know and i'll never know but it looked suspect yeah it's a long way to drive just to find a bin it was yeah we're, we're very remote could have been like a drop-off point yeah it could have been like a gun maybe. for a crime or could have been a rake of drugs could have really changed how this podcast would be. Just, <laughs> God, God, are you enjoying the podcast? <laughs> uh, I, I love submarines. <laughs> Drugs are bad. Speak, speaking of submarines, should we talk about John B. Holland a little bit? Yes. Connor, I believe you have the early life. Do you want to just hit, hit who is this guy? Where is he from? Sorry, before we start, I when I was doing my research, I kept coming across this guy, John Holland, the spirit whisperer. That was the, that was the main person that kept coming up when I was looking for him. Ooh, what's he do? <laughs> Talks the spirits. I don't know. I didn't. I shy. Irish? Did he leave Ireland? <laughs> I didn't look into it. <laughs> God okay. damn it, Derek. Because I assume our guy <laughs> wasn't the inventor of the submarine and also spoke the spirits. <laughs> True. It could have been a, a mashup episode with Kathleen Golaher or whatever. Yeah, Gola Goggler. So yeah, I'll kick off. So we know uh, <laughs> we know from experience that he's from Liscanner and grew up near the community center we think in uh, west clare in yeah. west clare yeah in the west uh, very coast. a very a cl- stones throws the cliffs of moher literally probably the nearest town apart from doolin to the cliffs of moher so so not the nearest town so yeah. <laughs> um but yes yeah, so he was born in 1841 so uh obviously living by the coast his whole life is kind of oriented around the sea and coast and his dad was even a coast guard and he actually lost his dad when he was really young and ended up going on to study navigation in school, which was a thing you could just study in school back then. Like, no studying Irish, English, maths. It was like, I'm studying navigation. He also just spoke Irish until he was like four or five, until he went to school. Oh, I not that. Yeah, so not his really. mom was a native Irish speaker, and yeah, he didn't speak English or didn't learn English until he went to uh, national school. He did eventually learn English, and he wanted to join the Navy, but he failed the medical because he was very short-sighted so he ended up joining a religious teaching order uh the christian brothers which i don't know was your school the christian brothers no 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 okay kind of religious though we had an oratory yeah we had a patrician brothers i don't know the difference no i I assume they were just set up by a different order that's all yeah it's kind of like jesuit order like patrician brothers whatever they are there's those different ones anyway he was in uh he joined the christian brothers so they yeah have teach a lot of schools all over ireland and he started working on a submarine in labs in cork so they kind of facilitated his interests and he actually met a guy called dominic burke who was an inventor and he kind of took john holland under his wing and burke actually carved out like the shape of the submarine out of wood for him so holland was like chatting to him about this idea he had and uh, this guy dominic burke was like oh yeah i can and he like made a sculpture so the first like what's that called like a model like a miniature 
concept kind of yeah the concept works so that's where it kind of really started it but it's also important he was only 18 at this stage he was still very young when he was coming up with these ideas we won't focus on it much in this episode but there were submarines around before this time but they just were very inefficient uh it was very difficult if not damn near impossible to wage warfare with them so the concept of them existed but there was no like feasible one that could be usable across the world yeah so a lot of them in like in the 17th century they, they were around but they were human powered so they were uh, propelled by oars and it wasn't until like the mid 18th century until um patents came through in the in the uk for kind of uh, engine powered ones it's mad to think about like how the feck would you control a submarine with oars underwater i know oh, yeah. it's crazy like <laughs> when you said they're human powered i had like an image of someone putting a bike inside like two bathtubs stuck together oh <laughs> my, like... my my human powered image was um three guys with an up capsized boat running across the bottom of the ocean i think that happened in pirates of the caribbean I don't... yeah yeah but uh so you were you know just banging into submarines okay well we were all a little bit off <laughs> yeah anyway he did eventually leave teaching and went to join his brother who had already left ireland and went to the usa and um, sorry and his mother oh his mother as well was she? And, his, and his other brother sorry <laughs> so he apparently was the only one left in ireland the whole family <laughs> yeah. and uh but he arrived into Boston. He made an impact in the USA straight away in that he impacted the ground when he fell and broke his leg, like, straight off the boat. New York. Oh, Boston. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I still imagine a singing scene of him, like, stepping off, like, a, I don't know, I was going to say bus, but they didn't exist. Oh, it's yeah. hard to be historically contextual. Um, it's also, it's quite weird. off what, a blimp. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, I thought it was quite weird that a teacher, so an educated man, left Ireland at the age of 32 to go to Boston. I thought that was a bit odd. Yeah, it seemed that he was like, America being the land of opportunity, he was like, if I want to make the submarine something big, I need investments, so I need to go to the US. There's a lot mm. of money there. I might be able to get this thing off the ground, mm. under the ground. I'm not sure. Um so yeah basically when he broke his leg he ended up being rested up in bed and just spent his whole time researching studying and kind of getting in contact with inventors in the states sending letters and kind of building up a network from his bed he would have really benefited from like a facebook group called submarine inventors or something i bet that exists <laughs> yeah oh it definitely does now you would be surprised <laughs> so yeah originally his plan for how to power the submarine was like pedal powered so kind of like the bicycle thing maybe that's why it was in my head pedal powered and it had a filter system for air and yeah this was the, what he was working with at the start but he started to need money as you do so he got offered a teaching job in patterson in new jersey which sounds kind of like a downgrade now if you were like the big city lights of boston you're sent out to new jersey doesn't sound ideal but at the time uh, new jersey was a textile and locomotive like kind of hub so it also came had... from a tiny town in Clare. So I mean, yeah. anywhere, <laughs> yeah. anywhere with like a two-story building was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I came up to college to go to Maynooth, which is like what, a 5,000 person town. This is going to uh, be the most country thing you're ever going to say. Uh, yeah. I was very excited to live in an apartment block. I thought it was mad. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it, are you talking about Maynooth? Or are you talking yeah. About like Maynooth. Did, <laughs> like you not live, did you not actually live on the second floor? Yeah. <laughs> of a three-story building of a very 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 decrepit building that i'm was pretty it, sure has been raised to the ground since it, our time in college was it three so. or four story it might have been four does oh i know <laughs> but yeah no i was in the second <laughs> but it was still like oh this is cool so your bedroom at home was on the second floor too <laughs> yeah but like yeah 
The best thing about your bedroom in Maynooth when we were in college was the fact that you were 60 seconds away from the auditorium hall where our lectures were. So roll out of bed, cup of tea, you stink of booze, sit and walk to your lecture. and Have a link shower you like you do now still. Have today. a link shower, yeah. yeah just about, just not in this Connors van. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have said it to you back then because I was trying to make friends. Uh, <laughs> no, no, choking to death. So you said the, the most culty thing and the saddest thing you'll say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, while he was in uh, Patterson, New Jersey, he started chatting to loads of people around, getting to know fabricators, getting to learn processes of how he could actualize his submarine so it was actually kind of a perfect place for him to be at this point he had his plans had all his ideas knew roughly what he wanted to make in his submarine but he just didn't have any funding and this is where a group called the fenians come in and they it's kind of interesting he wasn't a fenian himself like he wasn't a big supporter of like independent ireland or anti-british at all by by, by all accounts but it would be a good time to just explain sorry to interrupt you there connor but um that the fenians at this stage were in this context were a group in based in the u.s who were hoping to secure funding to go home and continue the irish struggle against the british yeah so they, they, they weren't just in um the u.s they were kind of canada and then throughout europe as well just looking for funding to to help the cause i guess in their way but the fenians had a, a fund so they were um they had this campaign like the pennies and dimes so you could send in a penny and or a dime so a dime is what 10 cent or pennies and nickels nickels is five cent so it was like send in whatever you can and every penny you can spare will go into liberate in ireland uh, and they call this the skirmishing fund so this would have been john devoy and o'donovan rasa who were going around and they were really good at raising money so they were kind of raising all this money and they weren't really sure how to use it but they kind of told people this is going to go into liberating Ireland. And O'Donovan Rasa actually said that he would use the fund to bomb London, which was his like big plan. Okay. There's a couple of things in there though. So even before the Fenians came onto the scene, he entered a competition that the US Navy had launched looking for a submarine type design, but it was rejected as a fantastic scheme of civilian landsmen. Civilian landsmen? That's landsmen. That's what I have here. As in, oh, you, you don't, you don't have the sea. You're not a seaman. Oh, seaman, landsman. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing to see that like switch go in your head. Electricity there. going off in the brain. <laughs> Does it so rarely, <laughs> <laughs> or slowly? <laughs> yeah, but his, his idea at the time was to construct a submarine that would hold three men, and so it would be carried on a merchant ship close to where they wanted to attack. It would slip out on, on a door underneath under the water, attack the warship, and then come back to the, the the ship that carried it, the merchant ship that carried it. Wow, that was the idea of it. Yeah, I guess he hadn't thought at the stage that they could be their own self-sustaining. Well, they wouldn't be able to because it's not until kind of nuclear power that they could stay underwater for long. Yeah, for massive periods of time. Wow. Yeah, so it was propelled by steam on the surface and then by electricity when it submerged. Whose submarine was this? Uh, so that was kind of that was all early designs of submarines so uh, okay including well, it was his brother that brought him into the fenians yeah his brother was part of the fenians or involved mm -hmm. or knew the fenians right mm -hmm. yeah um and yeah he got an invite basically to pitch the fenians yeah. and he pitched the submarine and they gave him four thousand dollars uh, to develop thousand oh really okay <laughs> yeah. so we'll take an average at five <laughs> or like submarines at the time the hunley submarine was kind of a similar era uh but you needed to open the hatches for it to work which i mean it's not great in a submarine 
um, kind of eliminates the word sub. Yeah, it? well, it would have to have like a kind of a porthole up, like up to the surface and would open, and it did work because yeah, it got really hot because it was steam operated, but um, a small wave would sink them. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> it's pretty visible. So it's great in wow. a lake. With yeah, no wind. <laughs> yeah. So Holland started working and developing on the submarine and he wanted it to be a top secret thing. So he worked on it in secret, but kind of it seemed to be like this open secret that everyone pretty much knew he was doing it. I'm pretty sure the media knew about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, but it was a it was a great stretch of propaganda as well to be like, um, you yeah. know, we have this submarine innovator working with us to fight off the British people. So it was it was a good kind of propaganda buff piece in a way. Yeah, and this kind of we don't know too much about his process or how like I'm not sure even how long he worked on it, but um he had a his first test didn't go very well. Do you have about this, Ush? I, I have something on it. So it was called the Holland Number One, which is very creative of him. <laughs> um, it was launched in 1877. It was 14 feet long. The power was a four horsepower engine and carried one man. Um, and it was brought to a river. It was launched in front of a big audience and someone had forgotten to insert two screw plugs and the sub then sank straight away. Oh no. <laughs> it's awkward. Did you did you put in them uh, screws there? Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you should have them yesterday. What's that in my pocket? <laughs> <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder is it still called sinking when the sub's already sank? Yeah, like how do you know if it's not going well? I suppose if you're inside the Well, if, if yeah, fish is you know lying in the bottom of the floor. But it's such a it's such a weird thing to go and see. Like there was a huge crowd there, which again, it was supposed to be secret. Mm. But like it was a huge crowd. <laughs> like if it's successful, do you how do you know if it works? Like it goes down and then you're like, well, it might have worked or you might be dead. <laughs> well, I'm sure they're not going deep. Like I'm sure it's just like get out quick. Yeah, fair. Yeah. It weighed like two tons as well, which I, I don't know how much weight things weigh, to be fair, but like that seems like a lot. <laughs> I mean, ships weigh a lot. They're made out of steel. No. You know, compare it to horses and sheep or something, Claire? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he said there was four horses pulling it, so. <laughs> okay, so we have version one, which sank upon launch. Well, yeah. yeah, but in fairness, the next day they went at it again and it had uh, several successful uh, submerges. So it wasn't it wasn't a complete failure. Yeah, just the the... the first yeah he he trusted somebody else and that was a disaster one thing i found funny is that holland was like he believed the submarine would end war he he believed that once they had a submarine there was war ready the other opposing team would say well we can't beat against this we can't win let's just surrender yeah but obviously that's not how weapons work weapons get into the other hands and then everyone just has the weapons (laughs) it's actually i was reading something a while ago i was like they reckon that the atomic atomic bomb has done more for peace than anything else because that's the end result. If if you go to war, you drop bombs, you fight, whatever. If everyone has atomic bombs, that's just going to wipe everyone out. So it's like, okay, let's skip this and talk about it. Mad, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good point. It's a valid point too. Mm. I mean, they're I not what, good. but uh... Yeah, but I wonder what the modern day atomic bomb is because I feel like it's probably... Um... A hydrogen bomb, isn't it? No, but I mean, I mean more like information <laughs> IT virus type stuff, you know, because we're at a very interesting age, I guess, in history. So we have version one that was moderately successful, and then he worked on version two, which became um, which became quite successful in a way, especially again as a propaganda piece. And this one was so successful that the media began to dub it with a name that kind of stuck, and it's a name I really love, and you might know why soon enough. But it's called the Fenian Ram, and I think that's like it's a very good propaganda name. 
if the Brits, if the British people hear that a Fenian ram weapon is being invented in America. Also the name of a great band. No, <laughs> no. I think it'd be a brilliant sex move. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Fenian ram is a good name for a band. I think it's a sex move. Now, what type of sex move? I have no idea. But I think the Fenian ram is a fucking phenomenal sex move. Sex position. There we go. It. I don't think it ever was intended to ram, though. It was... It had a... A nine-inch gun. So it had a pneumatic. How do you say that? P N U pneumatic. pneumatic. Okay, pneumatic gun, which was eleven feet long. Jesus, and it had a projectile space as well for torpedoes. It which? Foot, it had a six-foot projectile in it, so it had a gun and the ability to fire projectiles. Yeah, to shoot. Yeah, the six-foot-long like dynamite-filled yokes. So this is like early torpedo kind of. It was nearly double in size, or was over double in size, so it was 31 feet long, and then it could also travel a lot quicker, so um, it, above water, it was, or sorry, over the water, it was nine miles an hour, and then underwater, it was seven, so quite a lot bigger, and it was 19 tons. Wow. And you have to remember, like, the with, with Holland's first few designs, like, if imagine, like, a squashed oval shape, I guess they were, which was the best um, for structural, for all the water pressure underwater. So this is the shape that Holland came up with that stuck and has been the same since then. So it's just kind of cool that that's, you know, he was the one who pioneered the most efficient underwater shape. Yeah, he actually has a lot of references to porpoises. So he says porpoises were a huge influence on him. He noticed that they could kind of go up and down directly. And this was one of the biggest factors in in making it successful. So it's a fixed center point. So... There's a lot of physics I was trying to understand, but it's quite difficult. I think it means that it can turn, it pivots around the middle, I think. <laughs> physics you're, you're, is not my strong point. <laughs> your pretend reading of Wikipedia is pretty good. No, this is, our, <laughs> this is, this is from my notes. This is, I'm oh, sorry, notes. sorry. I try to see you on your phone, I think, Wikipedia. Okay, sorry. No, I, I always read my notes. I, I thought you were just scrolling Wikipedia. No, I have notes <laughs> on my phone because it's the okay. 21st century and not, I don't print off stuff on paper. <laughs> but yeah, apparently uh, it's very important that the dive planes moved away from the middle and towards the end. And if either of you know what that sentence means, I would appreciate explaining it. I say we cut this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it had room for three people, could fire a six foot long projectile. And it's mad because the Jules Verne novel, you know, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which would have been 50 years previous, maybe 100 years. Yeah. So it's, it's just funny that he was kind of catching up to fiction at this stage. That's cool. Science fiction was predicting future advancements, mm. I guess. It was like when I thought when I was a kid, I thought the Jetsons with people with flying cars was going to be a thing. And I think it was the year 2000. That's what the Jetsons Mm. was based in the year 2000. The Jetsons was a stretch. I thought Back to the Future would be because Back to the Future, I think you go from 1985 to 2011 or 2020 or something. And it was no, we were we did. We haven't done much. (laughs) The Jetsons also have a very funny line. I really remember this. He comes in. Mr. Jetson comes in after work and he's like, oh, these three day work weeks are killing me because he's like, <laughs> like <laughs> robots have automated everything. So everyone only works three days a week. If only. If only. So we're going to pull it back to the Fenian Ram now. And again, it's a relative propaganda success. And it actually sounds like it's, you know, for the first time, it's a feasible weapon of war. Well, it, it was a success. But the first time we, we talked about the projectiles that it shot, but the first time they fired it, there was like a backlash. So like a recoil from it. And it got uh, stuck in the mud a little bit. And uh, the second time they fired, uh, they fired it kind of at the harbor and really scared a fisherman. 
So it sounds like so unoffensive. This really shit slow piece of metal underwater, just firing. It fires one projectile and gets stuck in the mud behind it. Like yeah, but I think it was just so scary. So this is the first time like the British really started to pay attention. Now it helped that there was the newspaper frenzy and the newspapers giving it the name the Fenian Ram. It it is a bit scary. It's this like terrifying thing that was underwater and they were the best navy in the world and then suddenly there was this thing that could attack them that they didn't have apparently british diplomats were messaging washington saying you need to get us the plans of this we need to know more about this but then with all that being said it's weird then the fenians themselves were like we're not we're not um willing to fund this anymore so they severed all connections yeah i think they didn't see it so viable they like knew the inside like how limited it was in its capacity yeah so at this stage we have version two we have the phoenix ram Uh, holland has also produced a version three at this stage so he has another variation of his submarine and he wanted to continue innovating and perfecting the art of making submarines um but this didn't really gel well with the fenians the fenians said version two the fenian ram is a perfect sex move name and it's also a perfect weapon against the british so they wanted him to develop that submarine itself as a weapon of war. So this didn't really gel well with Holland what he wanted. Because again, what, what we're going to keep kind of driving home with Holland is he was more interested in the invention than the Irish struggle. So things got a little bit iffy. And then there was somewhere along the way, there was a court case where the Ram was ordered to be seized, um, something to do with funding. But it was around this time where Holland severed ties with the Fenians and took them to Fekoff. It was over payment though, wasn't it? More so than that. Yeah, yeah exactly. So as things were getting more complicated, a small group of Irish freedom fighters, so some sources say Fenians, but we've also heard they were the early formation of the IRB, which was a prelude to the IRA. So you can imagine what they kind of were. They snuck onto the dock and they showed the night watchman forged papers. And then using that, they stole the Fenian ram. They also stole the next version, which was the version three. So naturally, Holland's going to be pretty pissed off where he went to sleep with his two babies, his two inventions in, his, in the harbour, and he's going to wake up the next morning and they're gone. But... The problem was these guys couldn't operate either of them. So the Holland 3, um, they were taking it out and it hit some choppy water and the sub filled up and it snapped the tow line. So they'd stole it by towing it via ship. Um, so the Holland 3 sank and was never found. Um, and then the Fenian Ram was stolen and disappeared for a while. And they got back in touch with Holland, the Fenians, and they said, okay, we now have the Fenian Ram um, that we stole from you, but we can't work it. So can you show us how to work it? And Holland severed all ties with them. He was like, feck this. And he said, quote, I let her rot in their hands. So he was very, very angry that they stole his invention. I mean, yeah, fair enough. It's weird where it turned up, though, isn't it? Did you see in 1916, it was it was on show in Madison Square Gardens to raise funds for the victims of the Easter no Rising way. in 1916 no, in, Ireland, oh, in Dublin. Oh, yeah, yeah. sorry. It wasn't in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, for the, the Easter Rising. In yeah, actually, after Dublin. the Easter Rising, they did move Madison Square Garden to Dublin for a while. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Just to show the Fenian Ram. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was inside. It made the yeah, most yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of it for Holland for a while. This was the last bit of his funding, um, and it all went tits up, essentially. So he was absolutely broke. He took a kind of, I wouldn't say a shitty job, but he took a job designing buckets used for dredging. So, you know, the, and you know that's an important thing with dirty rivers, I guess, but from being this inventor to being this kind of... Bucket man. Bucket man, yeah, I guess it's kind of a bit of a downgrade. So I'd imagine it still hurt him. He was still determined to get his vision of the, the modern submarine out into the world. Um, and people were taking notice and, and there was navies that were starting to really want the submarine. Um, 
in their fleet. Not exactly Holland's one, but they want they wanted this development, you know. Between the 1870s and the 1900s, um, some submarines and variations of submarines were sold to the American Navy, but they were primarily used for coastal defence. So it was Holland's subs that would be used for offence, for attacking. So again, Holland is broke, he's working with a dredging company, but he was still trying to design submarines all along the way. And two investors took notice, but such is the nature with business back at this time, and probably still today, they were very happy to take as much advantage as possible. So they, they offered him access to his own shipyard and plenty of resources for just one small caveat. And the caveat was he would have to give up all of his patents to them, who became known as the Electric Boat Company. Ooh, what did they do? Well, Holland just wanted to sell his subs. He just, he, no, he just wanted to invent and innovate. So he gave all his patents away. He was delighted. And he started working. He got back to work then designing submarines. But time and time again, he faced a lot of resistance from the US Navy. And one of the sources I was reading said that the Navy were very stuck in the mud. The US Navy didn't like the concept of a submarine because they were very, very dark. There was no decks he could walk on. And they didn't fit into like this polished naval warfare image that existed at the time. After years of trying, he eventually won a competition to, to design something for the American Navy. And that was in 1896. And the John Holland Torpedo Boat Company was set up. Wow. They're very direct with their naming company. Like, what does this company do? Well, it's owned by John Holland and we make torpedo. What is it called? Torpedo boats. Torpedo, torpedo boats. boat so that's companies. what he made. And then the other company was the electric boat company. Mm. So they make electric boats. But then, yeah, from the start, the US Navy were just interfering too much. They were just saying, no, we want it like this. And Holland was only kind of a gifted amateur. So they were kind of looking down at him and they insisted that their changes were, were put in place. And he's like, nope, not going to work. So he walked. He was well, he was proven right. So he's saying, uh, that the sub was too cumbersome. It was over-engineered and it was abandoned in 1900. So uh, four years after uh, starting uh, working. So another failure, the poor fella. But in this, so after this, he decided to go back to the electric boat company and he asked them if he could build his own boat and take on the entire financial risk to show up the Navy. To be like, you guys kept telling me what to do and you were wrong and now I'm going to do it and just show you up. And that was Holland number six. Holland number six, which is the golden boat. It's like Mambo number five, but better. Less sexy than Fenian Ram, but look, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> so the Holland number six was built and Holland invited the Navy to come along and watch. And like, this is basically like two fingers up to them going, look, I can do it. Um, but he even invited them on board, but they didn't trust him. They didn't want to go on board. Just to give a bit of context, though, it was 53 feet long. It had 45 horsepowers and it could carry up to 15 crew members. Ooh, Jesus, yeah, like from where it's come from, from like a single person thing or like a three person thing. Yeah, up to 15. And its first dive was on St. Patrick's Day in 1898. And they didn't forget any of the screws this time. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Not again. <laughs> it was a success uh, in, in New York Harbor. That's where it was launched first. That's awesome. And of course, the US yeah. Navy was delighted with it. This, this submarine itself led to the establishment of the US Navy Submarine Force and I guess changed the face of modern warfare in a way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess it wasn't until kind of World War One until people really went on and, and, and built more and even World War Two. then again with the, the U-boats. Oh, yeah. But like he, he sold this submarine to everybody. He sold it to the Japanese and they used it against the Russians and they gave him this massive award as a result. Or as a thank you. Thanks for the subs. Yeah. What was it? Sorry. It was like the... the Rising Star. Half. Rising Star, yeah, so yeah. But he also sold it to the British as well, which is kind of ironic because again, it just no, goes to show he just he? he just cared about the he just cared about getting the invention out there. He didn't care about the resistance yeah. against the you know. Yeah, twenty years after kind of 
saying screw you to the Fenians. He just sold it then to the Brits. So yeah. So yeah, the first official sinking of a ship via a torpedo fired from a submarine didn't actually happen until after Holland's death, which is I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because I don't know that he necessarily wants all this violence to happen out of his invention. Yeah, is it like an Einstein nuclear kind of thing? Where he's like, yeah, he enabled the deaths to happen, but it wasn't ever his intention. The US government ordered six more, and then similar orders came from England, Japan, and Russia. And then Holland's final years were marked with litigation with uh, his financial backers. Um, but then one of his last inventions was an apparatus designed to enable sailors to escape from damaged submarines. Oof, I'm sure that would be coming out to pressurized water. Nothing bad can happen there. <laughs> Shoop. But, um, and also just another funny one, like, um, th- though September 1914 was the first time a ship was sunk, it was shortly after that that the Lusitania was sunk, which is a ship that was sunk very close to the Irish coast, and it was a very, very large ship. So this was kind of a big deal. A lot of passengers. Were yeah, made. passenger ship. Millions. Yeah. yeah, passenger ship with a couple, a couple of shifty things on board that gave the Germans reason to believe that it was carrying arms, and it maybe was. It's kind of up in the air. Yeah. I have an essay... In a library in Navin about the Lusitania for some reason. <laughs> what? Won some competition when I was in six, 16 or 17. My essay was really good. I wrote a book you know, we were in school and it was called The Pluto and it was about a blue alien from Pluto who was coming down to invade Earth. So we did similar things. Oh, what library is that in, Connor? I don't know. I got an award. I got a merit <laughs> award. That was very important. So it's kind of like I said earlier, folks, like Holland was appalled at the violence because he thought subs would end naval warfare, which is never really the case, except for in the atomic bombs case. But every other case, usually the other side gets the weapon as well. And then everyone's just bombing the shit out of each other. And then his final years, like Darrow was saying, there was a lot of litigation. There was a guy called Rice who came along, who in theory, well, who blatantly stole his company. Can we give a bit of a give a bit of a rundown of what happened to the actual submarine? Sure. I don't know that. Sorry, the Holland 6 was then... Modified after her christening and was renamed the USS Holland SS-1, which is a nice catchy name as well. Um, and then it was decommissioned uh, 10 years after that. Um, but it was sold for scrap um, to a guy in Philadelphia for, in 1913, so three years later, for £100. And the purchaser had to put up 5000 in a bond to assure that the submarine was going to be broken up and not used as a ship. Wow. But then in 1915 or around 1915, they're not too sure, the external fittings were sold uh, on again and it was then put on display in Philadelphia and then in 1917 moved to the Bronx and then it was finally scrapped completely in 1932. So that bit of history has just gone. Wow. But you can still see the Fenian Ram, can't you folks? Yeah, so you can still see it in the Patterson Museum in New Jersey. So I have it in that he died in 1914 and he was buried in New Jersey, less than one mile away from where the first submarine was launched. Um, and then it, was, it wasn't until 1976 when his grave was marked with a large headstone. And then a bit more, uh, there was a plaque erected in his hometown in Ireland in 1964 to commemorate the 50th anniversary of his death. And they also renamed a street after him. So it went from Castle Street to Holland Street. It's crazy to think that where we are now, that submarines are basically just um, traveling hidden nuclear silos that could wage nuclear war at any stage from hundreds of places all over the ocean to this day. Uh, what do you guys What do you guys think? I think he was a pretty good inventor. Um, 
I think he, he like, I, I admire this exact type of person, I think. I think at all costs, he had a dream he wanted to see realized and he did everything to make it happen. Yeah, he, he wasn't interested in money or fame. He ju- literally was like, I just wanted to be made. He had no moral scruples of who had it. It was like, I want to do this. Anyone give me money. But then getting royally screwed over at the end of his life, I guess, kind of sucked where he was probably still quite poor because mm. his inventions were, all of his patents were owned by uh, the BBC. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, that does happen, though, doesn't it? I think oh, it's yeah. inventors aren't kind of of business mind, or a lot of them aren't, unless you're James Dyson. <laughs> yeah, or George Foreman. Yeah, I doubt he invented that. <laughs> no. no, I think Hulk Hogan was actually meant to be on that, and he turned it down. He's like, that's a stupid idea. And then um, when it blew up, he was like, oh, shit, I need to jump on this. So they, like, launched the, the Hogan... Whatever, waffle maker wig <laughs> yeah, the Hogan yeah. waffle maker <laughs> so, so I think what would you have would have to have a handlebar moustache or something on it <laughs> um, but yeah you see it was quite odd also there was not very much on his family or even his own kind of kind of personal traits or anything it was all just kind of facts about this is what happened there, there is there is also probably what helped seal him in history a little bit um, there's a phenomenal picture of him too where he just looks awesome Half in, half out of a submarine, and I think mm, he wonderful cool. handlebar mustache. Don't think he has a pipe, but probably does. But it's just, it's a really, really great piece of history. This picture, it's gorgeous. Follow us on Instagram, and you'll yeah. see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting late here. The midges have gone, so I think that's us. Is it? Yeah, I'm ready for bed. Is that the saying? The midges are gone, so that's us. The midges are gone. That's our our new uh, our new sign off. Yeah, that's the end of the story of Holland. If you enjoyed this and you want to hear more stories, then please check us out on Patreon, and all the links will be in the show notes. Music for the podcast was written and recorded by Jordan O'Leary of the Scratch Fame. If you don't know the Scratch, check them out; they're amazing. Mm-hmm.